Welcome to the Naked Truth. Peace to you. We are in the fifth book of the Bible now, in the Old Testament, the book of Deuteronomy, and we've made it to chapter 2. If you want to read along with me, open up your Bibles and join me, or you can use the blueletterbible.org website, which I highly recommend. It's good for all sorts of things, especially translating things like uh, the word Lord and the different names that it were translated to be the word Lord, letting us know many different entities uh, were identified as being the object of worship by many different people throughout the Old Testament and being called Lord by those people. So without further ado, let's begin. Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 1, then we turned and journey into the wilderness of the way of the Red Sea, as the Lord spoke to me, and we start skirted Mount Seir for many days. So the one who's talking here is Moses. At least it's, the story is, is being narrated by Moses, letting us know that, um, giving us the direction of the paths that they took as they left Africa, emancipated from slavery in Egypt, toward working their way toward what we, they call the promised land what we call the holy land and what the world calls Palestine Israel or in the bible days Canaan um, and so now they've uh, left there and he's basically this is the step where they're at now on their way to the promised land um, and he's retracing the paths that they took for the 40 years they've wandered through the wilderness verse 2 and the Lord spoke to me saying and again, it says, Moses having a conversation with the Lord, and like we've read before, that contradicts what other parts of the Bible say. For instance, John chapter 1 and John chapter 5. Um, but since it reads this way, as usual, we'll just read it as it's written. Verse 3, you've skirted this mountain long enough. Turn northward. So they're being given directions now and as they travel through the wilderness for those 40 years on when to settle and when to move and being signaled by a cloud over them, a cloud of fire or a cloud of, um, or a regular cloud of, uh, over their uh, tabernacle meeting that apparently when it moves, they move. When it stops, they stop. And that's sort of their GPS on their way from Egypt to um, Canaan. Verse 4, and command the people saying, you're about to pass through the territory of your brethren, the descendants of Esau, who live in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Therefore, watch yourselves carefully. So, when they got ready to enter that part of the world, that part of the region there, um, and um, I believe it's in modern day, uh, it's called Moab and Edom, I mean that area, and Ammon, where Jordan is in modern day, in modern times. Um, so it's around that same region, sort of south of um, Israel, Palestine, the Holy Land, um, but still probably included in what we call the Holy Land since that's based on the events of the Bible. That sort of um, nickname for the area is based on the different events of the Bible and even specifically the travels of the people we're reading about now as they left, uh, as they went through the wilderness and made their way to that holy land. But you can use a map and um, see what areas these are. Um, the Mount Seir, for instance. And um, when it says the descendants of Esau, Esau is the brother of one of their forefathers, um, Jacob, the one who got the name changed to Israel, who, to whom the whole nation 
is named after the nation as far as the people and the nation as far as the modern day area, country known or area known as Israel. Um, it is a country. Verse 5, Do not meddle with them, for I will not give you any of their land. No, not so much as one footstep, because I've given Mount Seir to Esau as a possession. So here's an instance of what um, the same sort of thing that the people who colonized the uh, Americas use uh, the rationale they use, the manifest destiny um, rationale that we're entitled to take possession of this land, even if other people already are possessing it, because the Lord's giving it to us. Um, and in the case of Esau, that's the hated or one-time hated brother of Jacob, who um, who um, again and again was um, had crossed swords, it seems, within, not literally but figuratively with his brother over this, that, and the other. Because it seemed Jacob was kind of a swindler, and maybe not a swindler, just a, hmm, what would the word be, a hustler. And that's what it seems kind of like, at least the way the narrative reads, and at least and in, with treatment of his brother and the possessions. Um, but anyway, so Esau was the one who that area has been, has been given to, or uh, allotted to, or who's taken possession of it with that same manifest destiny sort of rationale. And um, so they're being told, or they were told when they went got to that area, don't expect to colonize that area. That's your kinfolks, that's your cousins, your distant relatives, that's who, are, who lives there. And that the Lord is not going to let them uh, colonize or occupy their area. But specifically what's called the promised land. Uh, verse 6, you shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, and you shall also buy water from them with money that you may drink. So he, they were told, um, uh, make it a business arrangement, keep it strictly business, don't go there expecting anything for free. In other words, um, go there with money in hand to do business just without um, going there thinking, oh, your family so you should do for me for free. That sort of uh, thinking was sort of told to be put out of their thoughts and to go there with this attitude. Verse 7, for the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're, you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You've lacked nothing. So Moses is letting them know the Lord has been with them faithfully through those 40 years of um, of traveling through the wilderness and much of it is desert i would imagine because much of it is desert now but that doesn't mean it was always like that especially with climate change and everything but um, it seems like it's been desert for a long long time um and even the way they describe their journey it seems like it's pretty barren um and that all goes speaks to what moses just told them that they lack nothing they uh, had moments again and again and again where they were lacking food where they were lacking water and where they'd show out because they were hungry or thirsty or hangry or both or all of the above so it's not like they were just obedient lambs going along quietly whatever whatever directions Moses was giving um not at all um but Moses seems to be rewriting history a little bit because he's re recounting this to the next generation the younger generation that um, has survived those wilderness years 
whereas the older generation, the ones, their parents, their grandparents, all the older ones, were condemned to death in that wilderness for their rebellion, and they've all passed away um, before already to the point where, uh, before we got to this point. Verse 8, in the narrative that is. And we and when we pass beyond our, our brethren, the descendants of Esau dwell in, Mount, in Seir, away from the road of the plain, away from Elath and Ezion Geber, we turn and pass by way of the wilderness of Moab. So, again, you can use a map to sort of trace these steps of where they, of how they traveled as they went through the wilderness and letting us know here that they sort of went around that forbidden area that they were told not to try and defeat or take anything from them. So they went around that whole area. So I guess that would take a long time to go around a whole nation if you're on foot. Imagine if you're leaving Africa and you head north and then you and east and you meet, you cross the sea, the Red Sea, and you get to the area of um, uh, Palestine, Israel, Canaan area, and instead of just going directly there, you go all the way around, not only the Jordan River, but the countries east of the Jordan River, such as Jordan, modern day Jordan. So you can imagine that would take a very long time for 600,000 people on foot to make their way around there. But even then, it was I think it was part of the punishment, the judgment they received, because like I said before, you can walk from um, Egypt to um, Canaan or um, Israel in modern times, Palestine in modern times, and it won't take 40 years. And I think I even saw in that um, Human Family Tree um, documentary that I highly recommend to anyone, uh, everyone, it, it should be in school. <laughs> it should be what they complain about CRT. They should teach that in elementary to, to kids. The, or at least just have them watch that doc, that documentary, just like they watch Electric Company or Sesame Street, because it's so informative and it teaches so much, and it would tear down so much ignorance at a young age that people wouldn't grow up to be bigots and uh, the clowns that lynch people and that sort of stuff. If people realized just how closely related we actually we all actually are. Anyway, uh, verse nine. And the Lord said to me. Do not harass Moab, nor contend with them in battle, for I will not give you any of their land as a possession, because I've given R to the descendants of Lot as a possession. So the other area that they were told to avoid, Edom, uh, that area that we just read about, I previously read about, um, but what they were told to avoid that, because it belonged to the descendants of Esau, their um distant relative's brother. Now they're being told also to avoid the area of Moab because that area also belongs to another distant relative of theirs, Lot. Lot is even further back. Lot come is mentioned in the in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, in the whole Sodom and Gomorrah uh, um, narrative that happens there. Um, so it gives you an idea how far back that goes as far as from Genesis to Deuteronomy to time those 40 years and even before then that um, those areas were probably occupied and um, fully um, stocked with people um, by the time these people 400 years later are passing through the desert because all of those things in Genesis happened 
before the book of Exodus and in the book of Exodus picks up and they were there 400 years before they were emancipated from the slavery they were in to this point. So a whole lot of time has passed from that um, uh, Sodom and Gomorrah time to this moment. Um, but that's who it's referring to and it's talking about Esau and um, Moab and Lot. And one other thing about Lot, and you, if you've read with me before, or even if you've done um, the uh, 10 myths of the Bible um, piece that I put out here on the Naked Truth, you could see there uh, where we went over the Sodom and Gomorrah narrative and in the Bible and how it reads and the whole um, Lot um, story, how that plays out and the incest and the date rapes and all of that that don't get condemned but somehow the element that points to or alludes to homosexuality is what goes down in history as the the moral of the story the part to avoid not any of the incest not any of the drunkenness not any of the mobs not any of the the date rapes because there were two um none of that gets condemned but somehow society and the world history makes the um homosexual uh, illusion illusion there in the story the main point of the story when that is not even something that's even stated in the story but um history isn't always accurate it's like they say the victors are the ones who actually write and rewrite the history we see that an example of that is how and how moses is recounting to them the passage that they took over those 40 years we saw in the last chapter reading as we in, in entered the book of Deuteronomy, how Moses sort of uh, took liberties with how he's retelling how the behavior and the events that happened previously to this point. But it's how it reads, so we'll just keep reading. Verse 10, the Emem who had dwelt there in times past, a people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. So, they're talking about giants, literally giants, people who are super duper tall. And as crazy as that may sound, science agrees there are were more than one species of human beings in the world. And some of them are actually giants. And some of them, um, they're different species, but they're all, we all have the same common ancestors. That's where people who make that whole, uh, we're not from gorillas or not from apes argument about um um, religion versus evolution or whatever and get it wrong because that's not what actually evolution says it doesn't say say that we we've evolved from being apes or gorillas or any of that stuff and a lot of that is based on just racist stuff anyway just um trying to demean black people for having dark skin even though according to science black people were here first the cradle of civilization was in africa and you don't have to be a genius to figure out what kind of complexion the people in a super sunny part of the world, even if it hasn't always been that way, documentaries and things, history, science and stuff, say that there have been ebbs and flows of the um, climate in the world, but in particular in Africa also, where it'll be like 10,000 years of dry, sandy desert, and then a shift, a wobble in the rotation of the planet will cause it to suddenly be green and it'll be green for a period and then it'll, after another 10,000, 20,000 years, something like that, it'll shift again from the wobble in the axis of the earth and cause it to go back to the um, uh, dry, arid environment there. Um, 
way beyond my understanding, but that's it in a nutshell. Um, and I only mention that because it, it to help, you under, help us understand as we walk through these different things that may sound kind of crazy, like giants and stuff. But even if you put religion aside, other parts of science that are separate from religion altogether say that there have been literal giants in the world literally people who are super duper tall and bones and things have been found so it's um there's evidence whether people want to accept it or not just like people don't want to accept that female and woman aren't the same thing um it's your choice not to accept it it doesn't make it any less true um so anyway verse 10 the imam who had dwelt oh, okay so the imam are another group of giants so it there wasn't just one set of giants either apparently there were the, the Anak, the Anakim, as they're called. Uh, there was Anak, singular, and then that person's descendants, the Anakim. And, but then there's also the, um, the uh, Emem, it's saying here. And then there are all the Zuzem, and there's, the, there's a couple of other ones that are slipping my mind. But God willing, we'll come across them as we keep reading through the Old Testament. But again and again, giants were mentioned, so they at least according to the people who are passing on the narrative to us, they absolutely existed. And according to this, that's who dwelt in the area of um, Moab before the um, Sodom and Gomorrah narrative and the um, and the um, Moabites of, of occupying that area. Uh, verse 10, the Emem had dwelt there in times past as people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim. So again, letting us know they were giants also. Verse 11, they were also regarded as giants like the Anakim, but the Moabites called them Emem. So uh, there was more than one uh, species of giant also. And the word giant is also translated from the word in Hebrew that is rethame. And as always, forgive me if I pronounce any of these wrong. Um, please forgive me. But that's how it looks like it reads to me, refame. And um, that word will come up again and again throughout the Bible in reference to giants. Um, verse 12, the Horites f formerly dwelt in Seir, but the descendants of Esau dispossessed them and destroyed them from before them and dwelt in their place, just as Israel did to the land of their possession, which the Lord gave them. So you see how that part is in parentheses, that um, last part of the verse, or maybe the whole verse was. Let me see, where did that parentheses open at? Um, that must have opened up at a different verse. Oh, okay, it opened... That parenthetical statement started at verse 10. I didn't realize that. And it's um, closing up now in verse 12. And it seems to be naming off the different areas where the giants dwelt previously, but where other people occupy now. And there, the people who occupied at that point, when I say now, I meant now, as contemporary to the narrative, not now, present day. But um, um, the people who occupied it at that point were um, descendants, cousins, family, distant family members of the same people who just were liberated from slavery. Uh, verse 13, Now rise and cross over the valley of the Zered. So we crossed over the valley of the Zered. So they were directed to make that move, and they did. Verse 14, And the time we took 
to come from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed over the valley of the Zered was 38 years until all the generation of the men of war was consumed from the midst of the camp just as the Lord has sworn to them so that's what I was talking about earlier the um, death sentence that they got for being rebellious and not being perfectly obedient to the commands of the Lord I'll say since that's who they were given who it says this was giving it giving giving them the commands they ended up having to wander through the wilderness for all that time four decades while they died off in that wilderness and while they were still expected to stay faithful and reverent to the deity guiding them through the desert they still had to stay faithful because when they didn't when they got sassy they'd get zapped there would be massacres from above wiping out thousands and thousands of them so they were sort of beaten into submission beaten into um into uh, obedience like you would children um for indeed the hand oh sorry verse 15 for indeed the hand of the lord was against them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed this is referring back again to the other generation 20 years old and above i think it was that uh were cursed or condemned to die in the wilderness because of their uh, unfaithfulness and it, it, moses is letting them know they're all dead all except those two joshua and caleb verse 16 so it was when all the men of war had finally perished from among the people so after that generation died verse 17 that the lord spoke to me saying another message from the lord verse 18 this day you are to cross over at our the board boundary of moab so i guess i'm guessing that's probably not pronounced r since there's no e there um however you pronounce it that's the next stop where they were told to head next verse 19 and when you come near the people of Ammon, do not harass them or meddle with them for i will not give you any of the land of the people of Ammon as a possession because i've given it to the descendants of lot as a possession so they're being told also don't mess with that area either the Ammon, the ammonites that's also some of their cousins their distant relatives who possess that land and lot is that same lot who had two daughters after the during the Sodom and Gomorrah uh, unfolding of that story he had two daughters starting out and uh, and two sons-in-law that those daughters are married to uh, the sons-in-law unfaithful and died there in Sodom and Gomorrah because uh, they wouldn't uh, heed the warning to escape while they could um, but the two daughters ended up according to the narrative getting their father drunk even though he's older than they are they got him drunk um two nights in a row and the first night they got him drunk the older daughter got him drunk and had sex with him and got pregnant then they got him drunk again the second night and the younger daughter had sex with him and got pregnant he didn't get blamed for any of it again it's patriarchy in the bible especially in the old testament but all throughout so the father didn't get blamed for being too drunk or for having sex with his daughters or for getting them pregnant no he didn't get condemned for any of that um, so it lets us know again times and norms and what's um, um, acceptable changes it doesn't it's not static it changes just like people may want to make you believe marriage is supposed to be one man and one woman um, according to the Bible that's not what the Bible says at all and, and 
and and if they actually picked it up and read it they uh, wouldn't do that but you know people like to thump a bible and get people to follow along with it blindly and people unfortunately do that verse 20 that was also regarded as a land of giants giants formerly dwelt there but the Amorites called them Zamzumem oh that's a cool name so um, there were even more giants in that area uh, so it seemed I would, it would seem to me that if you were trying to excavate some area and find out about ancient history, one of the main areas you'd want to excavate is that entire area of the um, Holy Land, Palestine, Israel, all of that area. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's controversial because of all the landmarks and ancient monuments and not to mention the religious differences over there in the war, the, the fighting and stuff. Um, either way, anyway, more giants were also in that area, but they got displaced. It's not real clear how these uh, people are defeating giants, but um, apparently they are. They're able to, probably by numbers, they probably outnumbered them. So you're able to, just like with the David and Goliath story, it wasn't by outnumbering them that they defeated that giant in that story. But um, I can't imagine how else they would be able to do it uh, without some sort of supernatural advantage. Um, anyway, verse 21. A people as great and numerous and tall as the Anakim, but the Lord destroyed them before them, and they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place. So the credit for displacing them destroying them is being given to the Lord not to the the um, colonizers I guess is how you can call them the congregation that they encountered that ended up uh, taking over their area and um, just uh, out of curiosity just figured I'd check the Lord here is still being translated from the word Jehovah so um, you know just as a footnote so um, the Lord cleared the path for them also with those people in that area getting rid of the giants because presumably I guess the giants were a violent um, bunch at least according to the story in the uh, stories about the men Genesis uh, and it's very very brief where they're mentioned there all of a sudden there's a mention of giants and then there isn't really much else said about them except that they were uh, filling the land with violence and bloodshed and that that's sort of what sparked the flood to happen and have to wipe the slate clean. Verse 22, just as he had done for the, did I read that? Sorry. No, we didn't. Okay. So, uh, verse, did I skip one? Verse 22, just as he had done for the descendants of Esau who dwelt in Seir, when he destroyed the Horites from before them, they dispossessed them and dwelt in their place even to this day. So when it says even to this day, it means even to this day to that point in the Bible, not to this day in modern times. But um, it's saying also that that was another area they conquered along the way, even though there were giants there. And the giants were the excuse or the reason that the spies used or part of the reason the spies used when they returned with their report of the land to not go um, to the promised land to give up on the mission and just turn back and go back to Africa um, and you know how that went over not very well 
Verse 23, and the Avim who dwelt in villages as far as Gaza, the Kaftarim who came from Kaftor, destroyed them and dwelt in their place. So I, I'm guessing those are probably more giants also. Um, and you may recognize one of the cities there, Gaza. That's the same Gaza. I'm, I'm guessing it's the same Gaza that exists in modern times The in the Gaza Strip, that whole disputed region in the Israel-Palestine conflict that same Gaza. Um, so that's another area of people that were there. They got defeated and dispossessed, basically colonized by the congregation. Verse 24, rise, take your journey and cross over the river of Mon. Look, I've given you, I've given into your hand Sihon the Amorite, king of Heshbon, and his land. Begin to possess it and engage him in battle. So, like we when we were reading it, the way the people were suddenly being addressed as an army and um, uh, stationed as an army around the tabernacle meeting, it said it with it sort of said it. With, you'd have to read between the lines to see that it that that was what was happening. The congregation of people who were re, uh, rescued from slavery had been transitioned into an army, a religious army. Um, specifically dedicated to protecting the the religious order, including the relics and the priests, the Levites, the tabernacles, the tent, all of that stuff. Um, they surround they were surrounded by the congregation. It seems to me basically for security. But um let me see, did we sorry I pushed the wrong button there. Um That was first okay twenty four so yeah um so that's reviewing it was reviewing when they defeated Sihan also so Og and Sihan were two of the uh, rulers that they also engaged with and beat defeated in battle on their way to the promised land verse twenty five this day I will begin to put the dread and fear of you upon the nations under the whole heaven who shall hear the report of you and shall tremble and be in anguish because of you. So um, their military exploits, although they were obviously aided by God or the Lord uh, in these instances, um, was to be uh, broadcast like far and wide for all the world to know there's a powerful people who've been emancipated from slavery and they're making their way through these countries to their uh, promised land, to an area that they're going to colonize and possess. Verse 26, And I sent messengers from the wilderness of Kadamoth to Sihon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace, saying, so um, they've gotten to that point where they're um, uh, approaching another area and basically asking, can we pass through your area so that we can get to our area? And we remember how that turned out whenever they tried doing that. Verse 27, let me pass through your land. I will keep strictly to the road and I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. Um, letting the um, areas know as they reach them that yes, they're basically letting them know there's a whole lot of us, half a million men plus, half a, more than half a million men plus their women, their wives, their children, and um, 
and a mixed multitude of foreigners also traveling towards your country. But don't worry, we're just going to pass through any food we need. We're going to buy it. Any water we need, we'll buy it. We're not going to expect anything for from free from you or just pass through looting and pillaging your area. So don't be afraid. We're coming peaceably it was sort of the message he would send ahead of them as they approach these different nations. But again and again, that message was not received well, and instead they were attacked. Um, but let's see, verse 28, You shall sell me food for money that I may eat, and give me water for money that I may drink. Only let me pass through on foot. So again, just make letting them know I'm not looking for anything for free from you. I just like to pass through. Because again, it's a short route from Egypt to um, Palestine, but um, they didn't take the short route. They took a very, very, very long roundabout circuitous route all the way around the um, Promised Land, the Holy Land, the Jordan River, and a couple of other countries also that were already occupied by people. Uh, verse 29. Just as the descendants of Esau who dwell in Seir and the Moabites who dwell and R did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. So they're pleading with or petitioning for passage through those areas and letting them know it's not the first country they passed through. You can ask around. We passed through and weren't um, um, just stealing and begging and looting as we went uh, they paid for what they wanted and moved on through although that's not what happened at all they ended up going to war with them and defeating them and moving through their land um, uh, but again it's just Moses recounting it so let's read it as it's recounted verse 30 but Sion king of Heshbon would not let us pass through for the Lord our, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate that he might deliver him into your hand as it is this day so according to the narrative they were told or they would request passage through an area but um, their request would be denied because it was already put into the heart uh, of the person they were the people they're petitioning to reject them and according to the narrative it's the Lord that already put it into their heart to reject them even though it's the Lord directing them to that area so I guess to read between the lines there it would mean that it must be some sort of faith building exercise for the people um, where they'll learn to be more faithful or uh, I'm not sure why would you keep putting these uh, expectations on people when you see they have doubts, when you see they're human and they don't have the faith that you might expect them to or hope they would, even after seeing those miracles and wonders to emancipate them from slavery, we see that wasn't enough to keep them faithful because again and again, they were willing to return back to slavery rather than continue on the mission to the Holy Land. And yet it seems the Lord, the entity, the deity guiding them keeps testing them um, and watching them fail. I, I can't think of one time um, off the top of my head where they were sort of tested this way and passed it. 
Um, I'm sure there must have been some. Verse 31, And the Lord said to me, See, I've begun to give... Do we read that? Let me see. No, no, we didn't. Okay, so 31, And the Lord said to me, See, I've begun to give Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to possess it, that you may inherit his land. So, it seems it's the Lord directing them through this colonization uh, mission to dispossess people who already live there and take over their property. Verse 32. Then Sion and all his people came out against us to fight at Jahaz. So um, the people were having it. They wanted to just pass through and they wouldn't let them. And rather than just allow them to pass through, they came out against them for war. So very hostile. And they're again, these are their relatives. They're distant family members. Um, but clearly that doesn't mean so much when you're talking money, property, and stuff like that. Verse 33, And the Lord our God delivered him over to us, so we defeated him, his sons, and all his people. So again, they were given the victory to pass on their way to get to the promised land that they were that they set out for. Verse 34, we took all his cities at that time, and we utterly destroyed the men, women, and little ones of every city. We left none remaining. So they massacred an entire area of people who they were related to. Of course, they didn't have much choice, and they, uh, you know, you have a choice. They, uh, they were attacked, so it left them less choice, I guess we'll say. Because um, you still could just turn back. You didn't have to... Uh, go ahead and kill him anyway uh, but that's how the story unfolded so they ended up massacring the inhabitants of those areas as they passed through verse 35 we took only the livestock as plunder for ourselves with the spoil of the cities which we took so they um they're talking about the way they looted the areas that they passed through and what they took they took the livestock and the spoils of the cities so if they took the spoils i'm not sure what other plunder there would be that um that they they're, they're talking about that they didn't take because it says we took only the livestock as plunder but it says also with the spoil of the cities so what else would the spoil of the cities be if not everything else but the livestock but I guess the bigger point is they defeated them and de the um, and uh, looted their city, their area. Verse 36, from Aurora, uh, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and from the city that is in the ravine, as far as Gilead, there was not one city too strong for us. The Lord our God delivered all to us. So he's saying in that whole region, wherever they went, no one could stand against them. They were able to find victory each place they turned on their way to the promised land, thanks to the Lord. Verse 37, Only you did not go near the land of the people of Ammon, anywhere along the river Jabbok, or to the cities of the mountains, or wherever the Lord our God had forbidden us. So those areas that they were told to avoid, because they were already given as a possession of other people, they avoided them. And anywhere else they were told to avoid, they avoided them, is what the narrator is letting us know, what Moses is telling the people, that they've been faithful in abiding, uh, I'm sorry, in, uh, obeying the directions, the GPS, in other words, that the Lord is guiding them through 
our width through the area to get to the promised land. So um, it seems to be saying, so stay faithful. Don't turn back now. Don't change horses midstream. Stay faithful. You made it this far. We've come this far by faith. As the hymn goes, keep going. Only we're not going to keep going at this point because that's the end of the chapter. As always, thank you for joining me and God bless you for joining me. I hope you'll join me again for The Naked Truth. We're starting to do more so that we can make a real dent because we're already to the fifth book. So I'm going to try and start doing readings more often, maybe even daily, but at least still on those Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday readings at the very least, God willing, as I'm able to. So, please join me again. In the meantime, thanks again. Stay safe, God bless you, and peace be with you. I'll see you next time. I love you.